Our scripture is Amos chapter 7. Amos 7, and our subject is Amaziah's presumption. Amos 7, beginning at verse 1. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth, and lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. And it came to pass, when that they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise, for he is small. But the Lord repented for this. It shall not be, saith the Lord. Then hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire, and it devoureth a great deep, and did eat up a part. Then said I, O Lord God, cease, I beseech thee. By whom shall Jacob arise, for he is small? The Lord repented for this. This also shall not be, saith the Lord God. Then he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, A plumb line. Then said the Lord, Behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. Also Amaziah said to, unto Amos, O thou seer, go flee away unto the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and prophesy there. But prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel, and it is the king's court. Then answered Amos, and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son. But I was an herdsman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel. Now therefore, hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, Prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Thy wife shall be an harlot in the city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line, and thou shalt die in a polluted land, and Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of his land. Amos has been has declared Israel's sins and announced judgment. Here we begin to see the, the revelation of five visions of this judgment of God. In verse 1, Amos says God showed these things to him. The first vision is of devouring locusts or green worms. It's not clear whether this was a literal plague of locusts as in Joel or if this represents some other destroyer swarming over uh, the land such as the Assyrians. The vision is of locusts eating the crop after the early growth. The early growth is in the fall, about October, and continues through the winter. 
the latter growth comes after the rains uh, just so the crop can mature before it is harvested in, in summer. It's this latter growth which the locust destroyed. So people had watched the crop grow and then just before it was ready to harvest, it was destroyed by the locust. It, this, of course, meant that the crop was lost and there would be no crop at all before the next winter's growth. Well, the prophet prays for the people in the land. The prophet pleads that Jacob, that is Israel, is small and Jehovah is great, implying that Jehovah can, Jehovah's mercy would be enough to cause a stop to this uh, plague of locusts. So Jehovah hears and Israel, in fact, is spared. The point seems to be that judgment so far has been averted by the prayers of not just Amos, but the various prophets. In verses 4 through 6, then there's a second vision, that of a consuming fire. The fire consumed even the great deep and would have eaten up the land if it wasn't stopped. And again, the prophet prays, and Israel was again spared. So God's wrath was... Um, basically um, ended and Israel was spared twice. The third vision is in verses 7 through 9. It's different. It's of a plumb line, and a plumb line is still used by in construction today. It's simply a string with a, a weight, uh, if you call a plumb bob, on the end. And if you hang this string, when it's motionless, it makes the line perfect. Gravity makes it the line perfectly vertical. And these have been used for millennia to make sure that a, a wall is perfectly straight. So a plumb line is a standard by which verticality is determined because if you start building a building or a wall of some kind crooked, it's, gravity makes it unstable. It's implying that the plumb line is God's standards. God had established standards. He, he gave them a law to live by. He gave them a form of worship which they had corrupted. Uh, and that, the form of worship was supposed to be centered in Jerusalem, not Bethel or Dan, not involving these golden calves, and certainly not the apostasy of Baal worship. Well, with this plumb line in his hand, God measures basically how far out of alignment the nation of Israel is. God reasserts his standards have not changed. He says he's not going to pass by Israel again. He's already measured the extent of their deviations and now there are consequences. Sometimes when a structure is found to be uh, wrong, there's nothing left to it but to actually dismantle what was built, to tear down what is faulty construction. Israel has been measured by God and found to be crooked. The first two visions spoke <clears throat> of nature working against Israel. Here the prophet shows God measuring the people of Israel, measuring their morals, measuring their ethics, measuring their ideas of justice, measuring their obedience. Uh, the high places of Isaac and the sanctuaries of Israel probably refer to their places of worship. God says these are going to be laid waste. They're going to be 
left desolate. So <clears throat> judgment on the nation's religion is certainly spoken of, but the nation's monarchy is also condemned. The house of Jeroboam is going to be visited with the sword, with bloodshed. In 2 Kings 10.30, after um, Jehu overthrew the house of Ahab, God said his descendants would reign to the fourth generation. Well, Jeroboam was the third generation, and Jeroboam's son Zechariah was now going to be this fourth generation, and he was slain after being on the throne for only six months. This time, there's no prayer by the prophet. The reason being, uh, the prophet cannot plead for mercy for his client when God as the judge has already found them guilty. God has measured them, and God says he's going to take action. It's too late for mercy. God specifically has said, I'm not going to pass by them. Then beginning in verse 10, we have a, a description of, an, of a historical event. The religious establishment in the person of uh, Ahaziah, or Amaziah, stepped in and challenged Amos. Amaziah was the priest of Bethel. Bethel was one of the centers of the calf cult, and it had been since the days of Jeroboam I. Hosea called it Beth-Avon. Beth-El means the house of God. Beth-Avon means the house of lies. Uh, in other words, it's not, he said, whatever it is now, it, it, where, whatever it was, it's not now the house of God. It's just the house of lies. Amaziah panders to the king. He basically reports the prophet of God as a dangerous man who is a public enemy. He says, we have to deal with him. He says, Amos has conspired against you. In other words, he's not only unpatriotic, but he's treasonous. Okay, the implication is that the king should take action against Amos. He says, the nation cannot tolerate the words of Amos. He's tearing us down. He's the problem. He's subversive. He's anti-Israel. In other words, Amaziah was saying, we are the victims of this prophet. He is destructive to the nation and your government. Amaziah gives two reasons why Amos was a dangerous man. First of all, the prophecy against Jeroboam's house. Now, Amaziah had to know that about a century earlier, Jehu had been given the throne under the direction of Elisha, a prophet. Now a prophet is relaying news of bloodshed coming to the monarchy because of the sins of the nation. And of course, the second reason for uh, that Amaziah gave is, is the prophecy of captivity, uh, basically the, the end of the nation. How unpatriotic to say that the, that the nation was doomed. That's demoralizing to the people. Amaziah reminds us of those who accused Jesus and said, he speaketh against Caesar. In other words, he's, he's unpatriotic. He's, he's, uh, 
He's subversive. He's bad for the nation. It's no wonder Amaziah was concerned. After all, Amos has said there's going to be bloodshed in the royal household. The nation is going to come to an end and the people are going to go into servitude. So Amaziah basically tells Amos to go home, go back to Judah. He, he says, there eat bread and prophesy there. The, the reference to eating bread was to making living. Amaziah was implying that Amos was in it for the money, that he was a prophet for hire. Perhaps they thought he was in, a, in the employ of uh, the monarchy of Judah. It's not stated, but... Uh, and, of course, this idea that you're there for the money is still used to criticize ministers. And, of course, some ministers that that may be true of. But the fact was that, as Amos states, he was a very poor man, and he's only there because... God told him to. And it couldn't have been a very uh, productive uh, employment for Amos as a foreigner to come to a nation and tell the people that everything bad is going to happen to them. Amaziah says in verse 13 that Bethel was not an appropriate place for Amos to speak. He says it's the king chapels. That is, you could read that, the king's sanctuary and the king's court. In other words, it was the house of the kingdom. So it was a royal house. And of course, the whole reason for the establishment of Bethel as a center of worship was for the sake of the monarchy. Uh, so Amaziah was really true that the, the supposed temple to God, the temple to Jehovah in Bethel, as well as the one in Dan, was really a royal temple. It was about maintaining the power of the royal house because they didn't want people going to Jerusalem to worship Jehovah because that would tie them to the monarchy in the southern kingdom. And the, remember, the, the monarchy of the northern kingdom really had no legitimacy whatsoever. It was not tied to the line of David at all. So in order to kind of divorce the people of the north from the Davidic monarchy, uh, they, the king established the uh, sanctuaries at Bethel and Dan. Well, Amaziah was basically invoking a sanctity to Bethel, this place of apostate Jehovah worship. He invoked a royal prerogative that somehow Amos was violating. Amaziah claimed a reverence for a place of worship that Amos wouldn't even recognize as a proper place of worship. Beginning in verse 14, Amos answered Amaziah. First, he spoke of the reason he was a prophet. It wasn't to make a living. He had never been a prophet in Judah, and he was not a prophet's son, which may mean that he was not trained in the schools of the prophets, which are something like our seminaries or um, might serve today. It was a place where you studied the word of God in order to teach others. So he was never trained in scripture. His occupation was actually that of a herdsman, a sheep, and a dresser of sycamore trees, which were a tree that grew wild. He, in other words, he collected these this fruit from the, this tree, which is kind of fig-like, and it was tended mostly to be eaten by poor people. So he raised these sheep that 
were grown in the hills because they were particularly hardy. Um, and he collected food from these trees that was mostly eaten by poor people. He says it was Jehovah who had called him. Amos quotes Amaziah in verse 16. And Amaziah had said, Do not prophesy against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. This is a condescending insult to Amos's divine call. This implies that Amos' words were his own and meaningless. When he says, drop not thy word, he means, that can mean dribble, as though these are careless words. You know, to go, he says, go, go take your babbling nonsense elsewhere. So since Amaziah does not think these are God's words, God speaks to him through Amos. Amos says, therefore, thus saith the Lord, I'll, you don't think I speak the word of God? Well, I'll tell you what God's word for you is. The places of worship are the religious center of a nation. The seat of government is its political center. When these centers of, of religious activity and political activity are corrupt, the national life embodies this corruption. Amaziah represented the religious life of Israel. Amaziah had no prophetic word. All he could do was denounce Amos for opposing the status quo, which he was a part, at least religiously. All Amaziah could do is call in the secular authority of the king or say that Amos somehow violated the decorum that was traditionally given to Bethel, but which it did not deserve. Amaziah would face God's wrath. This is God's word through Amos. So Amaziah is told by the prophet that he is going to die in a polluted land, probably meaning a foreign land. In other words, not, not the blessed land uh, that God had given his people. He has said that his children would die by the sword. And then lastly, he says Amaziah's wife would end up as a prostitute. Perhaps with his capture, his captivity, because sometimes the more educated people were the first taken captive, as in the southern kingdom that happened with Daniel. He was obviously a, a very intelligent, and so he was amongst the first to go because the capturing nation could make use of them. So in other words, it was a brain drain on the captured nation to take their, their best and their brightest. So perhaps this prostitution by Amaziah's wife was basically when he was taken away and she had to support herself, or perhaps she decided uh, on her own to basically sell herself to the, the conquerors because otherwise the alternative was to become a common slave. Amaziah claimed to be a man of God, but his religion represented a spiritual prostitution of his office. And the word whoredom is often used for the apostasy of God's people. They had basically sold themselves religiously because in turning to all to false religion or false worship, they thought they were going to get something. They thought they were going to get ahead. So they thought they were getting some benefit, just like a, a prostitute gives herself for money. They thought they were going to get something in return better than what God would give them. 
So the punishment on Amaziah would be the literal prostitution that would be seen in his immediate family. All the religion of the northern kingdom was invented. Even the Jehovah worship was based uh, at best on the calf cult in Bethel. And to a certain extent, it probably had elements of the Baal worship in it. It served man, as does much modern religion. It didn't offer the word of God, but it centered on man. And much of our modern religion basically just centers on man. And it talks about love and joy and blessing and happiness, success, uh, peace of mind, healing, all these things that God is there to do for you. But Jesus Christ says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. These people weren't seeking the kingdom of God. They were not seeking his righteousness. And so God is going to judge them. Our religion must be made acceptable to God, not man. Amaziah prostituted his office to the service of the government. So God prostituted his wife and made him a slave to the Assyrians. Amaziah's, or excuse me, Amos's specific predictions here are first that there would be violence against the dynasty, and that was fulfilled in 2 Kings 15:10. Jeroboam's son and successor was slain by Shalom. And secondly, Amos said there, there would be captivity and the end of the nation, and this was fulfilled in the uh, Assyrian conquest of uh, the capital of Samaria. And then the third prediction would be the death of Amaziah's children, his enslavement, and his wife's degradation. Now, the fulfillment of that is not recorded in Scripture, but it's... Uh, not hard to imagine, basically one of those three fates, either death, enslavement, or uh, degradation by prostitution, which was a form of slavery, happened to most of the people of the north. Only a remnant remained, probably just the, you know some more commoners remained, people that weren't necessarily valuable uh, to the Assyrians. And uh, these people later are known in the New Testament as the Samaritans. They intermarried with other people. Their religion became rather corrupt, as it was at this day. Uh, and uh, uh, they, were, they were looked down upon uh, by uh, the Jews of Christ's time because they were basically, for one, they were religious, they were still religiously apostate. And they were kind of ha considered half-breeds. Israel considered itself very religious. Its power and wealth probably only reinforced their idea that they were on the right track religiously. Uh, their success probably reinforced their self-righteousness. But even though man is comfortable with the extent of his religious activity, God may not be. Amos was rebuked by one of the most powerful men in uh, the northern kingdom. He was rebu rebuked by the priest of Bethel. Amos was 
a minority viewpoint after all. Amos was a foreigner, an outsider, someone easy to ignore. Amos was not one of the elite. He was a poor man. So why believe anyone who does, has no trappings of success or influence when everything seems to be going well? Not only that, Amos was violating the religious decorum of the oldest religious center of the nation. Amos was speaking treason and treachery. Even today, such a man would be likely be arrested just for saying what Amos said about the government and the fate of the king's uh, family. This may have been uh, Amaziah's suggestion to the king. After all, he first went to the king, it was probably said, maybe you should just consider arresting Amos. Maybe you should do something about him because he's bad for the nation. Amaziah was trying to shield the king and the nation from the words of God's prophet to nullify them and saying we should take action against him and, and show him what we think of him. And this, this was his pre presumption. Amos spoke because God told him to. In dismissing the prophet of God in his message, Amaziah dismissed God in his warning. This was Amaziah's presumption, and it must not be ours. We're not ancient Israel, but Amos does tell us that God's long-suffering with our sin does not equate to a pardon or a free pass. Amos does tell us that God's mercy can come to an end, and when it does, there's no escape from judgment. Amos does tell us that outward prosperity, influence, and respectability should not be grounds for assuming God's blessing is on us. Let us pray. Our most good and gracious God and Heavenly Father, we pray that you would Help us to be warned by your uh, prophet Amos. Help us not to think that material prosperity or uh, political power or position uh, amongst the nations is in any way indicative of your blessing. Help us to realize that sometimes the, the things that we enjoy in life are just setting us up for judgment. Help. Help us to realize that sometimes the, the things around us give us a false sense of security. Help us to measure ourselves in terms of your word, in terms of your righteousness. Help us to uh, be hard on ourselves and, and seek more and more to, to uh, fulfill your righteousness in our personal lives, in our family lives, in, in, in our businesses and, and elsewhere. Help us to want to be conformed to the image of your son. You've made us new creatures. We pray that you'd help us to get to have an attitude that, that we must not behave like uh, reprobate men, but we must in all cases seek to emulate uh, uh, our lives after your eternal standard, your word. We ask for your blessing upon us in this coming week, and we pray that your spirit would work in us and cause us more and more to love righteousness and to hate sin. In Jesus, our Savior's name we pray. Amen.